Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Hallelujah! Please welcome somebody before you take your seat and give them a nice compliment. Praise God! Alright, you can have your seat in God's presence. Please sit like kings and queens that you are. And tell somebody, happy rainy day. Amen. Amen. You know, that year they said, people that go to church when rain fall, that their faith is strong. So tell your neighbor, your faith is strong. <laughs> All right, praise God. Uh, friends, please join me in honoring our pastor. <laughs> Let's be on our feet when we do that. Join me in honoring our pastor. Let's honor Pastor Dami. We can continue to say things about our pastor and we'll never run out of words. Our pastor is such a blessed man. Keep clapping, keep clapping. Such a blessed man. Thank you, sir, for this series. Thank you for the deluge of God's wisdom that you have given unto us. You've allowed yourself to be a channel of God's blessing. We celebrate and we honor you. Thank you very much, sir. Please let's have a seat. Thank you, sir, for this wonderful privilege. All right. Please bear with me. I'm still trying to gather steam. Amen. You know, while series has been such a series, um, this is going to be the 13th installment, and I want to please jam your hand for every pastor that I've taught in this series, Pastor Peace, Pastor Yinka, and majorly Pastor Dami. Praise God. And you know, when we started this series, Pastor gave us the aim of the series. Who can remember it offhand? Long shot. <laughs> Even the number one is long. All right, so I would just like to start with that. You know, it's good we refresh our minds. You see, that's why when we're in school, a few weeks before examination, there's revision. Amen? Whereby you get to revise everything. I'm not saying we are writing an exam, but who knows? Uh, praise God. So I, I would like to just start by reiterating the aim of the series. And then after that, then I will go over to attempt to summarize um, the entire 12 installment that has gone beforehand, and then we'll start layering on the meat of what we have today. Praise God. It promises to be such a refreshing time in God's presence. Amen. So the first one is, uh, for those of you that did not have it, I'm sorry, you can't write the aim now, so look for somebody's note that has the aim to send to you. All right? So the number one was to build in every tribesman the confidence of certainty of the result that comes from the supernatural order that is superior to that of the world. So that while quick but weak results are coming from the quarters of the world, we do not suddenly begin to second guess our approach. But even with greater audacity, the patterns revealed to us by the word of God. So, you know, we live in a world, and it is not something new to our generation, where it's almost as if those in the light envy those in darkness. It's an anomaly, right? So you are in the light, but you are envious of those in darkness, almost like you are in a Prado Jeep and having guys that are going on foot under the rain. You see, it simply means that it simply means that you have gotten your priorities upside down, or perhaps you are not appreciative of where you are, or you don't even realize the caliber of that which you possess. And you see, and that's what wisdom seeks to do for us. Wisdom seeks to liberate us from that tendencies that begin to make us envy that. Uh, which we are supposed to be delivered from. Amen? You see, the devil, 
one of the strategies of the devil, and I began to get into this some weeks back, is that the devil always attempts to exchange the eternal for the ephemeral. Always. So every time the devil comes to you, he's coming with butter in mind. I want to give you that which will not last and collect from you that which has eternal tendencies. And that's what this series is seeking to liberate us from. Number two, to execute judgment in every situation according to the will of the Lord. It is important that believers become the executors of judgment. And judgment in this sense doesn't simply mean you condemn. Judgment is begin to see things in the light of how God sees things. Begin to attend to things in the consciousness that God will attend to them. You know, during the series, Pastor taught us about Adam and the protocol by which Adam began to name the animals. And you see, the way Adam was functioning in that realm, if God was in a parallel verse or a parallel Eden and God was giving names to the animal and Adam was in his own side giving names to the animals, when they compare results, both of them will be saying the same thing. Because Adam was not functioning in the fullness of his capacity. Adam was functioning in the fullness of the capacity that God provides. Remember, God created the earth in seven days and he rested on the seventh day. And the seventh day, which was God's day of rest, was Adam's first full day because Adam was created on the sixth day. Which simply means Adam was functioning from the overflow of the rest of God. And that's where God is seeking to bring us into. And that's why as believers, we must be the ones to execute judgment. Because if we leave judgment execution for those that are non-believers, what we'll begin to have is a perverted universe. Amen. So you see, wisdom seeks to launch us into this. Praise God. Number three is to create systems and protocols that guarantees predictable outcome of victory in every area of the believer's life. You see, it's almost as if you are saying that you will surprise God you know, some, you know when they will want to spoil to give offering, say, give an offering that will shock God. Really? <laughs> wow. God will not be, you will not give the offering. God will not say, oh. <laughs> you give the offering. Praise God. No, 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 no. God cannot be shocked. You cannot surprise God. Because a thousand cattle on a thousand ears. You get. Everything belongs to God. The Bible says the earth is the Lord and the phone is zero. It simply means that because God functions in the capacity whereby systems and protocols are predictable, it simply means that your life has to be in a format whereby your outcomes are predictable. You see, edict just come, you just know the end is healing. You get the end of the edict is healing. That's in there is no negotiation. Uh, you go to the hospital and they just say one, they just give you one very nice elaborate name for that ailment. You just laugh. Because why? He who sits in heaven do what? He laughs. You say, Doctor, thank you. I respect your years of study, but the word says something different. You see, by the time we begin to get into wisdom, or by the time we begin to function in the capacity of what wisdom provides, our outcomes are predictable. And the end of all our outcome is victory. You see, David was not going to battle and thinking he will lose. He will lose. That's why when loss comes, it's a surprise. But victory is the regular. So you see, your outcome must be predictable. Your outcome must be predictable. See, when that man founded his house upon the rock, it was a certainty that storms and the rest will come, but nothing is shaking. You see, that's why if you are living in a good house, not waterlogged area like my area, <laughs> if rain is falling, you don't check outside. You don't check. Why? Because the outcome is predictable, because it has been factored into when that building was being built. Right? But you know, the, your neighbors will be carrying buckets and uh, God will help us. Amen. Praise God. Number four, to confound the wisdom of the world through the, manifold, through the manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God. You see, the world thinks they have wisdom. But you see, every time, and we'll be getting into this in the later part of the teaching, every time the Pharisees and the Sadducees, far to see and too sad to see, 
when they come together and they think they have cooked one hard one, you know, they, in their mind, there's no way out. And, they just, and the way Jesus always answered them, it's not as if Jesus was even thinking. You know, there are some answers I say, wait, let me go. So Jesus was not thinking. As they just drop, you just, ah. Just, all these years of cooking all of this knowledge, all these years of cooking all of this wisdom, and God just dismiss it with the whiff of a finger. You see, when Solomon was functioning in the fullness of God's wisdom, the way he handled the issue pertaining to those two women, the entire world were wowed. Because never had any man operated in this dimension. You see, and that is supposed to be the average believer's story. Remember when Pastor was saying some, some, some few years back, I think when we were still in Steeda Center, that we are only as strong as our weakest link. But you see, the strength of our weakest link is a thousand men. So imagine the weakest amongst us is one thousand men. Standard. That's, you are weak. Oh, I'm weak. Is one thousand men is falling. That's your weakness. You see, and that, that can only come when we confound the wisdom of the world through the wisdom of God. Number five, he said to help every tribesman develop the capacity to make decisions that are immune to crisis. So crisis immune decisions. You see, our life is a cumulative effect of all the decisions we have made. Some of us now, perhaps, are, in, are medical doctors or in the medical field. That decision started from going to science class in SS1. You understand? Some of us now, the people you know today, were based on the decision that when you were feeling jam form, you wrote first choice, OAU, because OAU is the popular investor. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> eh? First choice, OAU. Right? So you see, there are some people you will never have rode with. Like, for example, I chose to go to Calabar. And you know what happened. Yes, Amen. Amen. Zikam, Zikam came forth. <laughs> Amen. You see, so our life is a cumulative effect of all the decisions and choices we make. And you see, and one of the series Pastor taught us about, if your life is filled with so much crisis, it simply points to your lack of wisdom. Because wisdom will guarantee you predictable outcomes. So he wants all of us to be immune to crisis and our outlast times and dispensations. There is a protocol that God has planted in every man that will make you outlast time. If you go to the burial ground of Abraham, you will not see bone. You will not see anything. But it's still an institution we study every day and we enter into. Why? Because a man chose to work with God and God preserved his story as an eternal order for all time. And this is not peculiar to just Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. This is a reality that God wants to birth in every believer. And what will launch us into this truth is wisdom. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So that is the aim of the series. Now, our key takeaway so far from the 12th installment. All right? You know, we started with rocky wisdom. And here we learned that the wisdom of God is an intangible force that produces tangible results. It's the truth. Wisdom of God is an intangible force but the results of wisdom are tangible. And one of the scriptures I love so much that begins to exemplify this truth, uh, the psalmist began to say in Psalm 24, who shall ascend unto the hills of the Lord? He said, who that has a clean hand, the intangible? Who that has a clean heart, the intangible? And who that has a pure heart, rather, and clean hands? So you see, you could see the um, combination of both the intangible to birth the tangible. So you cannot say, oh, my heart is pure before God, and your hand is clean, is, is dirty before men. The two must align. 
for you to ascend unto the ease of the Lord. Because at the end of that ascent, what you will receive is a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of your salvation. So the, your pure heart is your disposition towards God. Your clean hands is your disposition towards men. Because at the end of the day, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the head has given unto the sons of men. You function in the realm of men. You, you understand? And that's what Rocky Wisdom began to teach us. Rocky Wisdom began to tell us how to find ourselves in God, how to be established upon the rock of God's word. He said, I lay in Zion a cornerstone. Praise God. Jesus Christ is our standard. And that's what we began to learn in Rocky Wisdom. Uh, and after that, we entered into the city plug where foolishness is characterized by the presence of regret. You see, when everything is, I die know, I die know, I die know, I die know, it's a pointer to your foolishness. Because your life cannot be lived on the platform of I die knows. Because when will you know? Because if everything is, I die know, 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 40 years, I die know, 50 years, I die know, 60 years, which simply means that the cumulative result of every decision you have been making were wrong. And that's why I regret. So it simply means that a man that has the accumulation of so much regret is not an impactful man. Because everything, you regret the reason why you went to the school you went to. You regret the reason why you married the wife you married. You regret the reason why you chose first choice. You, reject, you regret the reason why you chose your course. You regret, regret is a pointer to foolishness. Wisdom will tell you to sit down and begin to examine things from the perspective of God so that God will begin to recalibrate the order of your life so that your life can minimize regrets. Praise God. That's what we learned from City Plug. It's on SoundCloud. So, then from that, we moved over to seasoned wisdom. That wisdom isn't far from nature, Pastor Peace. How many of you remember seasoned wisdom? Winter, summer, autumn, and spring. Amen. Then we now moved over to scales. That wisdom is born in the fear of God. That until a man fears God, he has no way to access God's wisdom. So tell your neighbor, Eberolor. <laughs> fear God. Fear God. See, we live in a world where people don't fear God. There's a regard you have for God. You cannot even laugh to some skit. Like, ah, he's God, though. Like, if somebody can just act the film, Uza versus Ark of Covenant. Like, just act the film. David feared God that day. That day. You know, it was during ah, we are being Ark of Covenant, we are being uh, this, this script flipped. The ox just stumbles more. Uzzah just said, ah, let me assist God. Then, ah, David said, take it to Obedidom. <laughs> he can die. He's straight. David sent it to, and do you know what that thing did to David? It forced David to go and look into the scriptures. Because David began to consider what the Torah said about how we hallow the Ark of Covenant. Because we still talked about honor. When David now read from God's word, and I began to understand the protocol surrounding the Ark of Covenant, it's at that point that David now did the right thing. Many of us don't, and this, that's what we learned in this series, that we need to learn how to fear God, how to hallow God, how to reverently fear and honor God. I, maybe one day you begin to study who Obededom is. That guy is such a great man. Because Obedendom had the correct posture to the Ark of Covenant, and he profited after it. The thing that killed Uzzah, eh, made Obedendom the talk of town. The same thing that killed Uzzah, 
made Obededom the talk of town to the extent that the blessings of Obededom got to the ears of the king. Honor is fear, is reverence. No wonder when you begin to read in Chronicles, when they were getting psalmists that will minister before the Ark of Covenant, Obededom's family was there. Because obviously this guy understand, understood something that perhaps David did not understand at the time. Praise God. Then after that, we entered into securing your destiny needs. Here we learned that prioritizing future needs by enduring present inconvenience must be an attitude of believers. Not every time I want to live a soft life. I want to relax and be taken care of. That should not be your mantra. Believers should not be taught delayed gratification. It should be a lifestyle. This life is not about, you know, pastor has already talked about, I want all I can, can all I get, and sit on the can. Nah, that's not the believer's life. Your life will be cancerous. <laughs> Amen? So you see, you must learn delayed gratification. This is the part of faith. Looking up to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was said before, endured the cross, despised the shame. It takes a man that is humble to despise shame. If you are proud, you have so many things to be ashamed of. You know, yesterday during our devotion, God began to open our eyes to the posture of Peter and John. The Bible told us that Peter and John were flogged. Do you know what it is to flog grown-up men in public? They flogged them. Flog, not secondary school students. Peter and John, apostle of Jesus. And their posture was not to begin to rain fire and brimstone. Guess what? The Bible says they went away rejoicing, considering it worthy to have partake of the suffering of Christ. How do you come out from what is supposed to cause you to descend into shame? Come out with, and they go and say, see, James, see this cane. Ha, it's number five. Oh. Makes sense. I suffer for Christ. It's good. You know, pastor has begun to tell us that our journey of faith, our, our medals in faith is our scars. Guys exemplified it. They did not teach it. They lived it. Praise God. You see, Stephen was so aware of God that in the midst of being killed, he was able to still intercede for people. You know, do you know the level of depravity a man needs to descend into to begin to stone somebody with the intent that I will not live here until he dies? You know, Apostle Simon told us that there is a capacity of anger that man do not have. That for men to begin to function in that level of anger, it needs to be sponsored by a demonic spirit. And that demonic spirit is the devil because he knows he has a short time. He's an angry spirit. And look at the posture of Paul. Paul said, remove your shirt so that you can be able to throw the stone very well. I will watch your clothes. And as they were hitting Stephen, he was nodding his head. And on the other side of that attack, Stephen was able to accumulate so much in God to look at those people in their eyes and tell God, Father, lay this not against their charge. I believe some of the things, prayers that sponsored the conversion of Paul is the intercession of Stephen. Because Stephen began to tell us, I mean, Paul began to tell us in Ephesians the things that Stephen said on the day he was killed. He said, I saw Jesus by the right hand of God. Paul wrote it in Ephesians. So Paul began to step into the revelation that Stephen sponsored by intercession. That's a man walking in love there. That in the height of them killing you, all you could think of was their salvation. 
Because Stephen looked at them and he knew these are not people. This is an attack of the devil sponsoring this scenario. And Stephen was able to discern accurately. See, Peter was going to be crucified. And he could summon enough courage to tell them, I don't think I'm worthy to be crucified. Like, see, I'm not here to beg you that you should not kill me. Kill me all you want. See, that's fine. In fact, that's the goal in venture in, in the first place. But at least just turn my own cross upside down. Wow. That at that point, he could still muster a reason to honor God. That even in death, the honor of Jesus takes preeminence over my dying on the cross. That I cannot die like Jesus. Only him is worthy to die in that format. And men, no. And that's what wisdom is taking us to. So if you think it's about cars and la vida loca, <laughs> sorry. Then after that, we enter into law one, two, three, where we talked about issues pertaining to marriage and other align matters. So it's on SoundCloud. <laughs> uh, then Pastor Inka gave us mind your materials and mind your evolution, where we began to get insight into the depth of perfection and growth as prescribed by the scripture. Right? You know, Pastor Inka began to tell us the issue of take away the dross from the silver and there will be a vessel for the finer. Yeah, our life, you know, there was a teaching in this um, tribe that, that really blessed me. It was titled Detox. You understand? Many are, we need to detox. You know, the accumulation of dross will not help you. It will just make you become a lead, a lead. Pastor has already taught us about lead. The accumulation of dross... You know, the thing about dross and impurities, you know, when, when we were in school, we learned about strength of material, separating impurities in order to make metal refined. The thing about impurities is that impurities cover the glory that is, in, that is within. You see, for example, you see, you want to get a gram of gold, but the sand that covers it is just too much. And gold will not be gold until we begin to remove those impurities. You know, use, me as you, use me as I am. It, it's true. That prayer is good. But once you tell God, use me as I am, the, what he's hearing is that I remove impurities from my life. Come as you are, doesn't mean you remain the way you are. Remember the entrance to the funnel. But as you begin to go down, you become a straw. Amen? Then the helmsman, where Pastor taught us about the power of the tongue. Believers don't talk anyhow. You understand? Because we understand that the world was created by the words of God. And once God lives in you, it simply means that he has circumcised your tongue. Where you begin to speak realities that are in tandem with the realities of God, the realities of the spirit. Praise God. Then after that, we enter into bondage lab. That is when we now started entering into the nitty gritty of love as it pertains to wisdom. Amen. Now, pastor taught us that our love work is directly linked to our ability to possess and walk in wisdom. We learned that love stirs up wisdom. Love stirs up wisdom. I, I won't say much on this because that will be what I'll be talking on. Then we entered into the Easter message where pastor began to teach us on manifesting resurrection. As believers, God expects and wants us to grow. And that is exemplified by our work of faith. So you see, the essence why Jesus Christ was resurrected is not so that we can just perpetually become sky gazers waiting for his coming. You remember, the disciples were going to turn to sky gazers. Jesus has finished it like this. Angel had to come and say, oh God, this will not help anybody. Do what he says you should do. Not just sit in isolation awaiting the second coming. That the essence of his resurrection is so that you and I can begin to embody the God life. You see, if those disciples continue to be stargazers 
and they, ne- they refuse to exemplify the God life, we will not have Christians in Antioch some few chapters down the line. But when they began to get into the reality of what resurrection birth, people gathered and they had a conference. And they said, what nomenclature are we going to name these people after? And they said, they are Christians for they follow Christ. In other words, your pursuit of God and the way you embody God must begin to evoke in people a nomenclature that is strange to an end that people begin to classify you with a reality that is only found in the Christ. Amen? So people must identify you with a reality that is only found in the Christ. And this is evident by the way and the manner at which you conduct your life and carry out your business. That when people begin to search the wisdom of men, they will see no description of you until they get into the world. See no description of you because never had a man lived like this. When you begin to do business, you do business after the dimensions of the kingdom. Whereby your goal is not profit, but your goal is God. Which simply means that you don't use dishonest skills. You don't trample on people. You work in a manner that is consistent with the realities of the resurrection. That's what we learned in Manifesting Resurrection. And last week, by the special grace of God, pastor began to teach us on the leverage. Pastor taught us extensively on how it is our love work that gives him the leverage over us. And that is what made his will to manifest in us. So in other words, the leverage God has over you is to the degree at which you walk in love. I love you, Lord, is the leverage God has over your life. So which simply means that if we do a pie chart of your life, and your love work is 10%. It's 10% God. Which simply means that love work must permeate the entirety of your life. It is to that degree that God will now have full control over you. Praise God. Praise God. So that's all we have learned so far. Please let's give um, applause. Amen. All right. So today we'll be taking our learning a notch deeper as we continue to deconstruct the subject of love. And how we can apply this lesson to our lives to the glory of God. You see, long ago, Jesus had a Q&A session. We have one on Saturday with Pastor Dami. Praise God. So, go and buy data. Amen. So, Jesus had a Q&A session. And in that Q&A session, somebody began to ask Jesus a fundamental question. And that question is found in Matthew chapter 22. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 22. I'll be reading from verse 36. All right. Then the Bible says, let me start from 32. It said, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. Praise God. You see, one thing that stood out in Jesus' answer, beyond answering the question, Jesus Christ gave a profound insight into his answer. So the guy came testing Jesus, asking him, Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And it is one. It's just that the commandment has A and B. He said the first one is, 
Love your Lord. Love the Lord. Prize him above every other thing. He said, the second is like the first. He said, so it simply means that your vertical alignment will determine your horizontal reflection. If you love the Lord, it must be verified by how much you love men. You understand? And Jesus Christ began to say that the law and the prophet hang upon these two. That's where our contemplation is going to start from this morning. The law and the prophet hang upon this. See, Jesus Christ was speaking to a Jewish audience. These guys understand the law and the prophet. So in other words, the veracity of Christ's claim was something that was supposed to be subject to testing. That Jesus Christ did not just stop at telling them the great commandment. He was telling them that everything that Moses said, everything that Abraham exemplified, everything that Isaiah, Habakkuk, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, everything they had and everything they said is premised on these two. See, when somebody began to make that kind of statement, it is worthy of investigation. That what is it about this love that all of Moses' revelation, look at Genesis 2, because the law is Moses' book, the Pentateuch, or the first five book of Moses, otherwise known as the Torah. And everything else in the Old Testament is considered prophet, because according to ancient history, the Israelites prized everybody that echoed the realities of God as a prophet. That's why David functioned in the capacity of a prophet. All right, everything else is prophet. Which simply means the entirety of Genesis to Malachi hanged upon these two. Love. So now you begin to look at what Paul said to Timothy in Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He said, All scriptures are inspired by the Lord. They are profitable for doctrine, reproof, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly built and equipped unto every good work. Which simply means that, and when Paul was writing to Timothy, Paul did not think he was writing scripture, he was writing a letter. So in other words, what Paul was referencing was not his letter. He was referencing something that was already popularly referred to as scripture, which is the law and the prophet. So if we begin to juxtapose what Paul was saying side by side with what Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying that love is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that you are thoroughly brute and equipped unto every good work. Which simply means love is the equipping of the saints that will help you manifest God. Amen? Jesus said everything hung upon love. And Jesus Christ began to give us a protocol for experiencing and exemplifying and manifesting that love. And that protocol is you love God, vertical alignment. This is justified by how much you love men. So it simply means that your vertical alignment must be justified by what you reflect horizontally. So it simply means if men begin to consider your life, will it be a pointer to the fact that you love God? Because even Jesus said it. He said, by this, men shall know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love one for another. So what is this thing about love? That Jesus Christ begins to make a daring claim and that the entire law and the prophet hangs upon love. Praise God. So, let's begin our journey into love. Recall in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 to 8, how Jesus began to review God's strategy in Peter. Jesus, you know, Pastor explained this to us, that when Peter stepped into the revelation of who the Christ is, or who Jesus is as the Christ, 
Peter begins to reveal, and Jesus begins to reveal a strategy of God that Peter lives embody. And I, I, I will digress a bit. How many of you listen to Targeted? All of us. Amen. You know, Pastor began to mention in Targeted that all of us, every man in, upon the earth, uh, is a strategy in God for the earth. So in other words, when God was bringing all of us in here, God had an intention in mind. That's why we really don't know the age of a man, because he existed before in God. Which simply means there is a strategy God has for the earth that he locks up in you. That it is to the degree that you begin to reveal the revelation of God to you, that God begins to reveal his strategy in you. So, the strategy God had for the church that Peter as a person exemplified was that Jesus is going to found, find his church, the institution of that body which he called his bride, on a rock. Right? But Peter will not know that this is, the, this is the reality in God that I embody until he began to reveal through the help of the Holy Spirit that this man is not just Jesus. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah sent to save the world. And no wonder... It is Peter that wrote a lot about stone. Remember, Peter was the one that told us about lively stones. Peter was the one that told us that Christ is the chief cornerstone, that what David prophesied in Psalm, he was talking about the Christ, which simply means that Christ is the standard of building through which all our lives must align, which simply means Christ is at the corner. Because the essence of cornerstone in ancient architecture is that, you know, when Solomon was building the temple, the Bible told us that no hammer or chisel was held in the temple. They were cutting rocks, and when they cut the cornerstone, that's the prototype stone, every other builder that is cutting, they begin to look at that stone as the point of reference, which simply means it is to the degree that your stone aligns to the cornerstone that you are correct. If not, what you have just done is an effort in futility. We have to cast it away. And Peter now told us that, you see, that standard by which every believer must measure their life, that standard is the Christ. And Jesus said, that standard is what I want to find my church upon. Which simply means the standard of the church is Jesus. Paul also echoed this sentiment, or this truth rather, not sentiment. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. So which simply means it is to the degree that my, my life as a living stone aligned to the cornerstone. It is to that degree that you should follow me. Or when you see any sense of disalignment, disregard. Now, Peter entered into this revelation. Why? Because he could discern the Christ. Amen? Now, Apostle Selman told us in M3 Summit, M3 Summit happened in the baptizing church, so it's not far play, it's our, it's our program. He told us that there are three levels of perception, and I'm going to tie all this to love eventually. There are three levels of perception. So the highest level of perception is discernment. The second level of perception is reason. And the third level of perception is emotion. He said of all of them, emotion is the weakest level of perception. He said every time you descend into emotion to perceive things, you will always almost make mistakes. Uh, so the devil tries to turn man into an emotion-making being. You see, we live in a world where a lot of people base eternal life decisions, not eternal decisions, life decisions on bare emotion. I feel like a woman, then you start taking drugs. Because emotion is not sustainable. See, the second layer of perception is reason. But even at that, by the time you overly get into reason and logic, you would become an atheist. Because the truth is, understanding is on the other side of obedience. So you walk in faith to understand, not understand for walking in faith. Because why will a 75 years old man leave his, land, his father's house? 
Does it make sense? And funniest thing, God did not even give him the Google map direction. He said, to a land that I will show you. It's on the journey that he knew it was Canaan. So imagine leaving your house this morning and you say, you're going to church. Which church? I don't know, but I'll figure it out on the way. Ah, you don't have sense. That's what they will say. That's how reason responds. But now there's a third level of perception. It's called discernment. And you cannot discern without leveraging on the help of the Holy Spirit. Because it's in discernment you begin to understand that the reason why I do the things I do is not simply because I know it. It's simply because I was told. So discernment is simply acting on the instruction of that which was being told to you. Jesus said you will hear a voice saying this is the way you should go. The beginning of that way might look like a ditch. He's saying that's the way you should go. It is in obedience that you find out that there's a solid ground underneath that which you think is a ditch. Because understanding is on the other side of obedience. Praise God. So when Peter discerned the Christ, Christ began to unlock the realities that are locked up within him. And those realities are in tandem with the strategy God has. How does time run like this? <laughs> Somebody's still in introduction. <laughs> anyway, I'm not finished. Pastor will teach it. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. So, you begin to understand that every man is a product from God, released as a solution or a strategy into the world. Peter Dami said this in skills. Every man is a product, released as a solution into the world. Praise God. Now, there's another disciple that began to discern Christ. He discerned Christ in a variation that is slightly different from how Peter discerned Christ. And Christ also gave him the revelation of what he exemplifies. And that disciple is the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love. John was the only guy that discerned Christ as the Word. Before John, we know he's the Messiah. But there was no link between his Messiahship and his godliness or his God nature. John came to a point where others were starting, because if you check Matthew, Mark, and look, all of them were starting Jesus' um, beginning from a human perspective. John said, no, there is a divine order that introduced the Christ. That's why John said nothing about Joseph. He said nothing about Mary. He started from the beginning. He said, in the beginning was the word. He said, the word was with God, and the word is God. The verse 14 of that chapter 1 now begins to tell us that this word became flesh, dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten. So in other words, that which we now stay in his presence, that which we now interacted with, that which we now saw, taste, and feel with our five senses, is God though. Guess what? When God was, when Jesus was going to reveal John to John, we now see that John now began to reveal himself or reference himself after the order of the revelation of the Christ to him. John said, I am the disciple whom God loved, which simply means that if we want to begin to name John a name after his revelation of Jesus as the word, John became Jedidiah, the beloved of the Lord. So you see, every time you begin to walk in the manifestation of Christ as revealed to you, as you discern Christ, God changes your nomenclature. Check it. When Abraham began to Abraham began to discern God in the light of who God is, he became Abraham, father of many nations. He didn't even touch Sarah. When Jacob discerned God in the light of who he is, he became Israel. Because at that point, Jacob now saw the folly of labor. He wrestled with a man all night long. And he has been wrestling all his life. Wrestle Esau out of Bethlehem. Wrestle Laban out of inheritance. Wrestle Leah and Rachel. Wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. <laughs> he was wrestling his way out of life. But he came to a point where 400 men were coming. No power again. 
At that point, he began to discern God in the light of who he is. God gave him an opportunity at first. He said, the God was here, and I know it not, and he kept wrestling. He saw it in Bethel, but he could not discern it. I saw an heaven, a stairway leading heaven, angel ascending and descending. Then, what is the revelation? He put oil on the stone. God was here, and I know it not. But when he now began to discern God correctly, after the light of who God is, it became Israel. Have you not noticed that since that time, check the trajectory of Jacob's life. Quarrel ceased. Wrestling ceased. It now looks as if Jacob now entered into a perpetual state of peace and rest. So you see, for you to, we are still talking about love. <laughs> for you to begin to function in the reality of who you are, you must discern the Christ to you. You must discern Christ. You know, pastor began to tell us that there was a time when apartheidism be held him. When pastor now discerned Christ in the light of Rafa, the healer, they said they were looking for him in the hospital, but he has gone to watch whether it's football or something. <laughs> because at that point, the end in sight was just guaranteed. You must discern him. And you cannot discern him without having the help of the Holy Spirit. John told us that Jesus is Christ guaranteed. But he is also the word. Praise God. Jesus is the word. And check it. John is the only guy that gave us a, a proper exegesis on love. Because when you now go to 1 John chapter 4, John now told us that Jesus, the word, which is God, that God is love. Which simply means that for you to begin to operate in love, you must carry God. Because the fundamental nature of God is love. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So, when you now begin to marry this truth with what Jesus Christ said in Matthew, that the law and the prophets hang upon love, you now begin to see that it is impossible for the law and the prophet to hang on anything that is outside of God. Which simply means love is not an entity that is outside of God. Love is an entity that is contained in God. Which simply tells us that the entirety of the law and the prophet hangs on God. The law, the prophet, everything finds their definition in God. Everything finds their relevance in God. And that God is love. Which simply tells us that for your life to begin to exemplify. Remember our last meeting with Pastor Daly? Because this is how you get into the spirit of what God is doing in the movement or in the church where you are worshiping. God does not just plant people in church. There is a spirit of every house that God seeks to use as a strategy for world transformation. So one of the ways by which you get into the spirit of that house where you are resident, where you are planted, is that you begin to fellowship with everything that comes from that house. You cannot be here and you don't love Pastor Dilly, you don't love Pastor Dami. Say, oh, no, 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 I, I hit everywhere. You will have constipation. <laughs> no, it's true now. Because you'll be confused. Because all this church, all of us, we are a member of the body of Christ. But God did not tell us which one is ear, which one is nose, which one is mouth, which one is... So it is to the degree that you stay rooted in that place where God has planted you, it is that degree that you begin to exemplify the strategy for God in your life that is in tandem with where you are planted. Amen? Amen. No, Pastor Lele began to tell us that when you read the Bible, you will get into Scripture. <laughs> <The> man. 
That day I don't understand. <laughs> but you know, you're a pastor, you just. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> it's not an understood. <laughs> when I prepared for this one, I now understood that, ah, okay, it's true, Totoni. It's very hard to revive, we cannot enter into scripture. See, what it was simply saying is that when you read the Bible, you encounter God from a literary perspective. When you began to discern him by the Spirit, eh, you now begin to discern the portion of God for you. It is to the degree that you now begin to discern God's portion to you that you begin to manifest it. Because you will manifest according to that portion that you have discerned. What Peter began to manifest in his teaching was to the degree that he had discerned God or Jesus Christ as the rock. What John began to reveal in all his teaching was to the degree that he has discerned Jesus as the word, which is love. So John began to take us on a journey through love. Because God can only lead you according to the fullness you have of him. So when the psalmist was saying, my cup runneth over, the, what is running over in that cup is the amount of God that you have discerned. And you have begun to exemplify in your context. And that's how you go to some assembly. They have faith for financial abundance. And you see, they have faith for influence on a corporate political level. And you just look, go to jail, everybody's a politician. Because they've discerned God according to that order. They've discerned the God of Daniel for administration. They've, they've discerned God according to that order that, no, as far as heaven and earth is concerned, God is the ruler of all things. They begin to see God in that perspective. And they begin to manifest that dimension of God. One of the things you receive here in the PowerPoint tribe, and by extension the baptizing church, is that you begin to see God from a teaching perspective. One of the things you begin to know once you get into the spirit of this church, especially the baptizing church, you don't know it from any way. You just begin to see dynamic insight into the knowledge of God's word. Where somebody is just reading in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, you, you are seeing revelations and dimensions. Why? Because one of the heavy deposits of God upon us as a people is that God wants us to become the instructors of the nations. And that's why we do HDDs. And you will not look at, is it only teaching? They need to add drama in this church. <laughs> Even the drama is message. Let me just give you insight. You see, they need to do concert. Even the concert. Look at the songs that Bekona sing. You are dancing, but you are praying. Because we don't know where it will be as entered. <laughs> Why? Because there is a grace on us to become the instructors of nature. And you know, because God wants us to begin to instruct the world, there is a demand that is placed on our life to discern God correctly. Because the failure of a teacher is the failure of the nation. Imagine they taught us, now is an action word. You know, that's how we'll be walking in fully every day of our life. What's now? An action word. When it's supposed to be, name of any person, animal, place, or... I mean, that's the definition of now. Jumaka, <laughs> has it changed? That's the one they told us. So, <laughs> so in case I'm walking in error, blame my primary school teacher. Amen? So, you see, God has given us that grace. And that's why, if you are here after a season, you see pastor calling us out and pastor telling us that it's not an audition. No, because what we are learning in this assembly is a protocol by which we instruct the world. You go to your office tomorrow 
and everybody is gisting. But the minute you start sharing your own insight on that opinion which everybody was sharing, everybody becomes quiet. Um, but when they were sharing their own, there was always bass booze. You now started talking. It's not as if it's a conference. Then you now finish. Someone now say, where did you learn this thing? It's church. Oh. It's church. And you never said Matthew chapter 1 plus anything. You just began to share insight according to the dimension of the spirit that you have discerned. Amen. And that's why you cannot joke with service. Because you know that this is your source. Amen. We are still talking about love. Let me just be reminding you, I've changed the series. I've not changed anything. So, if we begin to juxtapose John's revelation with our opening statement, remember our opening statement? It is safe to say that the law and the prophet were God's word. So the law and the prophet was Jesus. But even Jesus, the revelation of Jesus is founded upon his nature as God. So it simply means the revelation of Jesus as the word is founded upon the revelation that he is God. Now you now begin to understand why the Bible says he honors his word above his name. Because the law and the prophet were a dimension of Jesus spoken to those men. That's why when you summarize the scripture and you put it in one word, the word you come up with is Jesus. Remember when they were telling us the all of fame of faith? He says they were looking up to something. That thing they were looking and stretching their neck to see is the Christ. Because after David's episode with Bathsheba, David prayed, 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 and cried, 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 cried. Then he came into a place and he said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed are the people to whom the Lord will not count on righteousness. Jesus was speaking of a time that the, um, David was speaking of a time that Jesus will birth. He was looking into our generation. He was seeing something in the Christ. He was seeing how God will exemplify his love for some people that in the place of their sin, as a consequence to their falling, God will take the stand. They were looking. That city whose builder and maker is God is Jesus. Jesus is that city. Did Paul not tell us in Colossians that in him we move, in him we live, however, we are walking, we are moving in God. Jesus is an institution, he's a city. So it is to the degree that you began to discern Jesus in your context. It's to that degree that you begin to walk in the manifestation of that which you have discerned. And the truth is, there is nothing in God that you will discern that will violate the protocols of love. There is nothing in God that you will discern that will violate the protocols of love. So, in other words, what Jesus was telling them, or what Jesus was telling us, was that love is the litmus test by which we begin to judge everything we discern in the Christ. Because everything in God that you discern will satisfy the two criteria of loving God and prizing him above everything and loving your neighbor. So which simply means there is no time you say, I receive by revelation that I should kill somebody. Mm-mm, mm-mm. You have discerned something else. Because everything in God must satisfy the two criteria that God must be prized above everything. We simply, you cannot come to a point where God will now give you an instruction that will now devalue his person and exhaust something else. So, as Jesus was telling us that we will discern God, the law and the prophet hang on God, he was also giving us a protocol to gauge that which we are discerning, that it is love. And this love is exemplified by how we respond to God. We simply mean God becomes the pinnacle, the pinnacle of all our pursuits. 
And that pinnacle of all our pursuit is exemplified with the way we allow and we treat men. And somebody now begins to ask, wow, 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 I will shall round off like that. <laughs> because I'm seeing introduction. <laughs> All right, let me just move. All right, good. So, amen. All right, so Paul, well, it's almost impossible these days to preach without calling Paul. <laughs> it's almost, I don't know the kind of message you want to preach, you're not called Paul. I don't know. Paul now began to tell us how to exemplify this love. Paul now began to tell us that there is a protocol by which we can now begin to dispense this love across board. Across board. You know, we have discerned God in our heart. We are seeing Christ for the revelation that the Holy Spirit provides. Paul now begins to tell us how to do this across board to the end that we will now begin to bear results that are after the God kind. He told us when he was teaching the Galatian church, now begin to tell us that the fruits of the Spirit. Remember Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself. So what the Holy Spirit is speaking of, he's speaking of me, the word. I am God, and God is love. Paul is now telling us that that Spirit, what is speaking and what is birthing in the life of every believer, they are considered as fruits, and those fruits are different variations of the love of God. Pastor Mike has taught this before. See, you now begin to see how the Holy Spirit in different contexts begins to manifest tenets that are in tandem with love. Joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. You see, if a man begins to walk in the fullness of these nine manifestations of the Spirit in a believer, at the end of your life, we'll call you a wise man. See, that's how he connects to wisdom. If a man begins to walk in the manifestations of these nine expressions of the Spirit in your life, on your epitaph, when you have left this world, if Jesus tarries, right here lived a wise man. Because love, joy, peace, patience, and love suffering will guide your decisions. It will help you fulfill the five aims of the WOW series. Because in different contexts, you will know how the manifestations of joy is in alignment with the realities of love. And it's actually wisdom for you to be joyful. You understand? So you, come to, you came to a situation whereby literally... And, and, and you see... Earlier in our marriage, eh, one of the, we got married in, in August. And that day we were coming from church. I can't remember the message that I was preaching in church. And I was told, because my, my mother-in-law called me, I was told my father-in-law has passed. Eh? Got home. And my wife was crying and everything. I don't even know how to go through that season. I was the only in-law. I'm still the only in-law. <laughs> Wait, because you don't know how to deal with these situations. Trust me, you don't know how to deal with this. You don't know how to deal with these situations. Because I do not even, where do I want to start from? Then the next day, Pastor Damian and Pastor Timmy came to our house. And my wife was laughing and cracking joke. I said, hey. <laughs> I, was, I was outstanding. She was cracking joke. Eh? Was laughing. You just begin to understand that joy is wisdom. Joy is wisdom. Because if you descend into despair and begin to make the decision to enter into permanent grief, of what benefit is it? 
What is the essence of permanent grief? Because you no longer become a blessing to yourself and nobody can learn from your story. Now, you see why joy is a protocol in God that bears wisdom. Because, remember, you were supposed to be an instructor of the world. How do you begin to tell people that this is how you manage grief from the platform of joy? And you begin to exemplify that reality in yourself as a person. To the end that when people look at you, they begin to see a protocol in the Christ that they should discern and become. Remember, as we look at John, we begin to discern the love dimension of the Christ. Because in John, God begins to exemplify his strategy for the world, which is the strategy of love. So every time we look at John, we begin to see something in God that we must exemplify and we must pursue till we manifest, which is love. Every time we look at Peter, we begin to see the stability of the Christ and his essence and the essence of stability in the world. And Peter begins to embody that truth. Every time we look at Paul, we begin to see the revelation of the grace of God upon the life of a man. When we look at you, what dimension of God do you reflect? When we look at you, what lesson in God are we learning? Because it is to the degree that you begin to manifest that agenda of God in your life. It is to that degree that we cannot see you are a wise man. Because one of the things people do with wisdom is that they begin to copy it. This is what made Sheba, the queen, leave Ethiopia to go and see Solomon. And when she came there, Solomon said never as a man, but she was outstanding. She was blown away. Rally, oh. <laughs> Amen. But yeah, that was after the old order. Greater than Solomon is here. Because when Jesus began to put everything in an hierarchical order, he said, of all the prophets, John is the greatest. That's John the Baptist. Enoch said, the least here is greater than John. Abba. There are some things Jesus will say, you will close your Bible. So apparently, all those seller that they put in Psalm, they're supposed to put it after every Jesus statement. That after Jesus said, you put seller, pause and think. Abba. See, see, Jesus told us that. You know where Elijah is? Call fire. The Bible says the fire Elijah called, he leaked water. I don't know fire had tongue. <laughs> you understand? He said he leaked the water and he burnt the stones. You begin, what kind of? This one, fire is the creature cannot off it. Then Jesus now came and told us, that Elijah, plus the guy that did double portion, that is, is Elijah, the one that washed his hand. He said, when you add Isaiah to it, Isaiah was the one that said, Woe to me. Isaiah saw God in the light of his holiness. He discerned correctly. Isaiah did not wait for judgment day. He judged himself accurately. <laughs> you see? And that's, that's the truth. When you begin to discern God in the light of who he is, you begin to function in the highest realm of perception. You will know the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth. And see, that truth that Jesus said you will know that will set you free, it is birthed in the belly of discernment. Isaiah did not need anybody to tell him, you seen yesterday, you were, Isaiah saw God. He did not judge himself. He judged everybody. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among unclean people. All of us, but we are unclean. <laughs> he discerned himself correctly. And the minute Isaiah began to discern himself correctly in the light of the revelation of God's holiness, that day, his ministry took a new turn. He began to represent the interest of God perfectly, correctly. No wonder Isaiah began to speak more than any prophet of the Christ. You see, he discerned God in the light of holiness. God began to furnish him with the wisdom 
that now created the protocol for the Christ emergence into the world. Isaiah told us his name will be Emmanuel. Long before John told us that we beheld his glory as the, only, as the glory of the only begotten. Is that not Emmanuel? God with us. That's what John said in John chapter 1 verse 14. That we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Isaiah told us long ago. Why? Because it discerned God in the light of his holiness. Amen. I'm still talking about love. So you see, when you begin to discern God, your life will begin to exemplify a truth. And those truths will not violate the protocol of loving God and loving your neighbor. Which simply means that when you begin to discern God in the light of his revelation to you, eh, your vertical alignment will be correct. And what you are reflecting horizontally will be the Christ. And that's why I titled this message, Cardinal Reflections. Because those laws are called the cardinal laws. And that's what we seek to reflect in our daily context. Amen. Amen. So, how we begin to practically live out this truth? That every day, huh, we begin to discern God. Because there's a dimension of God. There's a portion of God that is tailored into and wired into your day. It is not when we are organizing program that we begin to press into God for a theme for the program. Is there a theme for your life? Is there a theme for your day? In as much as you are praying, lines are falling onto me in pleasant places. Which kind of line? I have a goodly heritage. It's true. What is the manifesting tendencies of that goodly heritage? Because you can quote lines are falling onto you in pleasant places. And as you leave your house, conductor jack your shirt. Bah! I say, ah, my day is a bad day from the beginning. How about now? Don't be like Job now. Job began to question his birth. Job began to question his birth. I caused the day that I was born. But when you were living La Vida Loca, you're not know, the day that I was Job, Job. Good time Christian. <laughs> eh? The day when he was, you know, it's, Job was a rich man in today's standard. If you have... 10,000 donkey, you're a big boy. You know how much they want camel? Job had them in 100. He did not cause the day he was born. When his sons were feasting each other, but small trial, cause everything, cause everything. But when God summoned him, when God summoned him, or when he summoned God, uh, and God began to realize the realities of creation to Job, <laughs> where were you? It's then we now know that sea had boundaries. Job began to capture that eternal reality that the earth is a sphere, but he has a foundation. Job began to capture all those realities. So where were you when the morning star sang at the foundation of the creation of the universe? At the end of that discourse, Job began to discern God as the all-sufficient one. Like, Job discerned God in the light of his all-sufficiency. There is no point fighting this one. You will not win. God all by himself. Look at the later end of his life. His life began to manifest the all-sufficient tendencies of the Lord to the end that his later end was greater than the former. So it is to the degree that Job began to discern God in the light of his all-sufficiency that Job now began to be sufficient in his own context. See, the satisfaction of Job touched his children. The Bible says, his daughters 
in pigeon term, now then fine pass. Like none could compare. None could compare. And somebody will be asking, what is the back end of this thing? Is the fact that it discerned God in the light of who he is. And every time you discern God, you begin to manifest realities that are in tandem with love. Because beyond the products of your faith, uh, God will begin to grant you furnishings in your heart that are consistent with love. There will be no strife in your heart. There will be no contention in your heart. You will be genuinely kind. Because you understand that wickedness has no profit or has no benefit. You will be genuinely secured. You will be gentle with people because that gentleness will be born out of the reality that they have not fully entered into the manifestation of the Christ in their life. That's why they are perhaps behaving the way they are behaving. You will take on the posture of Stephen. You will not condemn even those that have your death in their mind. You need to have a heightened sense of God and a heightened awareness of God for you not to condemn the person that is literally going to kill you. You know, we, sometimes in, this, in our faith, we are still praying for enemies that we don't know. The enemies were before Stephen. You know, we still pray for enemy in my father's village, my mother's village. Uh, we don't even know whether they are there. Because many of us, our villages are empty. <laughs> Everybody is in Lagos. <laughs> So at the end of the day, when the angel go with the sword, there's nobody in this village. Also, waste of time. Amen. That's just on the light handle. Amen. You see, but Stephen was in front. I, I like us to picture what happened to Stephen. I, I love Stephen. Stephen is by far my favorite uh, New Testament apostle. I, personally, I love Stephen more than Paul. <laughs> That guy said stuff. That guy summarized the Old Testament. Beginning from Moses, he taught Jesus. And he did not do it in a conference. He did it in a court. You know? So in other words, they were asking Stephen, what do you do? <laughs> Wrong question. What do you do? Then he started from Moses. Stephen was making his defense. No lawyer could do objection, my Lord. The Bible says they were gnashing their teeth. Because they know this guy was spitting truth that are in reality with God. They could not... He said, I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversary can resist or they can gain say. Stephen exemplified that reality. He was saying these things. Jephas, high priest, was looking. High priest that is supposed to be uh, an institution of the Torah, that is supposed to be able to accurately discern the things Moses write. He told them that Moses was speaking of not himself, but somebody greater. Moses was speaking of the Christ. And having said all of this, we thought it was only teaching. They, they found a way to say blasphemy, and they dragged him out. Dragging him through the streets of Israel. Brought him outside the city. Taking big, big rocks with the intent that he's not going to live here until he dies. You know, it's not the first stone that we kill him. Not the second one. They kept hitting him, right, left, center. In the midst of all that, Stephen could still find a way to discern God. What's the state of that man's heart? He was not even thinking of a way to run. Uh, if I just stand up like this now, just maybe they will not catch me. He was not even thinking of his salvation. That's rescuing for. At that point, the prayers in his mind were not that God saved me from this mob. 
His salvation did not matter in the grand scheme of things. All Stephen could think of were the people stoning him. His mind was heavily saturated for them. Stephen is the perfect example of who the good Samaritan is. He genuinely loved those that were stoning him. Genuinely. And the salvation of their soul were the principal thing in his heart. And that's for him to begin to pray. And he told them that, he told God that Father forgive. He began to echo the truth spoken of by the Christ on the cross. The first person that said, Father forgive them for they don't know what to do was God himself. Stephen was the second man to say it. He stepped into the position of the Christ in that context. And his intercession began to bear fruit. The first was Paul. We saw it on the road to Damascus. That the intercession of a man guaranteed the salvation of another. And we have 13 epistles after it. See, you don't know the end to your walking in love. When the Bible is saying, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, it has not even entered the thing God has prepared. It is you. Because when you begin to manifest the realities of God, exemplified by love, to, for God and for the people. You don't know the end of what your love will birth. Just the awareness that there is a church service. I will go on my knees and I will begin to pray for the minister of God to the end that he will begin to utter the realities of God with precision. You are praying. You have needs. You have school fees to pay or you have a job to look for. But you put all of those things at the back end and you begin to intercede for people and that intercession took preeminence over every need you will have. And that day, the man of God came and began to utter the truth of God's word with precision to the end that a life was saved. The truth is, you might never have encountered that person in your entire life. But the effect to which that guy will do, God will record it in your intercession. Because one day, Obina walked in love, and God began to manifest his reality in a person. And that led to the salvation of a billion other people. Love. It's a massive chain reaction that is greater than any nuclear reactor can ever produce. When pastor was telling us one of the aim is that we'll confound the wisdom of this world, this is just a little bit of it. That to the degree by which you walk in love, the person might not even need to change in your front because Stephen never witnessed the conversion of Paul. But you know what? Stephen is part of that cloud of witness that I believe Paul wrote Hebrews that I was talking about. Seeing that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin that easily beset us, and all with endurance the race that is set before us. Say yes, thank you, Lord. So, what do you think would be Stephen's greatest achievement when he gets to where God is? That God delivered him from that stone, or that he interceded, and out of that intercession, a man like Paul came out of it. Now, you see why discernment is greater than reason. Because when you want to go through the route of reason, you would think deliverance from the stone is the best way to go. But when we go through the route of discernment, intercession is a better option. Amen? So we are going to pray. Now. We are going to pray. It's very important we pray. Because one of the things you do in prayers is that you tell God how much of his help you need. Begin to manifest the realities that are God. Amen? So there is a, you must discern God in your context. Tell yourself, I will discern God in my context. And I begin to manifest the realities of God. 
that's what love is. My brother and my sister, this is what love is. He prayed. He saw God seated by the right hand. He saw Jesus rather. And he prayed that Father forgive them. Genuinely. He walked in forgiveness. Not asking how many times should my name. He walked in it. He, he discerned God accurately and he walked in forgiveness. He was gentle to them. He loved them genuinely. Just pray in the spirit. Bow your heads. Bow your heads. Karado shitamanatas. Enonzi labrahatosh ikafone bradish. Thank you, Baru, Barota, Seneca Bria, Fetoni Kitasu, Ia Teshushe, Rabako Sise Teshite. I might not give you a prayer point, but I, I trust that the Holy Spirit is working in our heart. I trust that the Holy Spirit is working in our heart currently and is revealing things to us. Now begin to echo those revelations back to God as a form of prayer. Rubakatash isoka. Nezo seteshi. Mana pradoshi sheketekosi. Rabene convelia tasa. Zerebani atalia kato fehele banshito. Reso bredisha ladasia. Iato kamina bredia sosia. Zeshu sheketekosi adadadosh. Rebaladana senenota. Iadabako. Zebredi coveneata. Zeko bredisheketem. Ele de ba paria de sekoka enanando siada da shada da da esu gediata I like the beckoners to help me with this song I choose the way of the Lord for the way of the Lord is the way so shada da 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 so said I choose the way of the Lord. Oh, I choose the We are still praying. Perhaps you are here and you have not given your life to Christ. That's the beginning, oh. That's the beginning. The simple truth is, God wants to invite you into a life of fulfillment. It is to the degree that your life has been sowed as a seed, that God is in control of your life. It is to that degree that God can influence you. So, if you are here, perhaps you want to give your life to Christ. I would just like you to come out and join, join me up here. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be ashamed of. God wants to wield your life as an instrument. Please do come out because we don't have all time. 
you want to give your life to Christ, now is a good place for you to start. Today is a good day for you to start. So that you'll be recorded in the book of heavens as the children of the king. As we sing that song, as we pray, please join us. Pastor, we pray with you. choose the way of the give your life to Christ as you are too shy to do it, it's fine just make sure you see any pastor after the meeting God doesn't want to leave you the same for the rest of us it's important at all times we discern the Christ, we discern God in the light of the revelation the Holy Spirit provides that is how we begin to reflect God, that is how we begin to walk in wisdom, it is called the cardinal reflection our vertical alignment must be justified by our horizontal reflection we must choose the way of the Lord perpetually, for it's the way of love. And walking in love is the fullest expression of the wisdom of God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Jesus, we honor you. Thank you for this word. Thank you because we know we will profit after this word. Thank you for strengthening us and thank you for your edification. In Jesus' mighty name we are prayed. Amen. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms. Half point tribe.